There's a Christmas card for the Borisovs up here. I just didn't know if you knew. Just wanted to let you know. Good morning. I'm not going to say Happy New Year. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to wish you this, or I'm going to pray for this for you. I'm going to pray for this new year to bring you hope in Christ if you don't already have hope in Christ. And for those of you who are believers, I'm going to pray that you have hope in Christ, and I'm, I'm very thankful. I also want to thank all the saints at Veritas who always rally together to just make sure everything happens just right. I don't know if you noticed that you're sharing bulletins this morning, but uh, the copy machine jammed and just this army of saint warriors came in and all in their own time and uh, tried to uh, make everything work just right. So hopefully that's going to bring you closer together, that you're sharing bulletins and you're going to be nice and close and, and, and cozy here. Well, Eric is going to be up with a football team in the snow, lucky dog, and he uh, is doing that with his two eldest sons, and they're going to have a good time up there, good time of fellowship. So I pray, uh, or I would ask you to pray, rather, that you pray for their, their safety, no broken bones, lots of snowball fights, great time, and maybe a safe trip home. Um, I'm grateful, um, grateful to him. I want to remind you also, before I begin to preach to you today, as Pastor Eric does in so many words every week uh, when he preaches to us, that we're to preach and to receive the teachings here in this church from the inspired Word of God only. Not one of us who preaches stands behind, underneath the teachings of the world or of mortal man, but rather we stand under the authority of God's Word, and it's God's Word that we're going to preach from today. It has authority and it carries its own weight. Um, so any lacking of the uh, talent of the speaker, as Greg reminded us, is just covered by God's Holy Spirit and by his word. Uh, and uh, as I'm not used to preaching up here, I'm really grateful for all the saints that have prayed for me this week and, and are praying for me even right now, those that aren't attending worship. How does that work? Hopefully they're attending worship somewhere, but they're they're praying, and I'm, I'm glad that they're doing that. Um, we who are preaching need to call upon the Holy Spirit in order for the preaching message to be delivered properly. And we who are listening need to call upon the Holy Spirit so that we can absorb the message, so that we can receive it as Christ wants us to receive it, uh, that we can apply it in our lives. So I, re I really want to pray before I even go any farther here. Uh, if you'll bow your heads with me now. Father God, we do praise you. We thank you for this morning's worship service. Thank you for the gathering of the saints here. And we pray for the Holy Spirit's leading in the delivery of the word. I pray for the congregation to receive the word, that the eyes and ears of their hearts will be opened. I pray that the lost would be saved and the body of believers here would be exhorted through the scriptures. I pray these things in the name of the Holy Christ, your Son. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Pastor Eric's been faithfully preaching to us our, adv- or, or excuse me, our annual Advent messages concerning the themes from Advent. He started with hope, and then love, and then joy, and then finally the peace we have in God through Christ Jesus. We're, we're really grateful for those messages of the season. Today I'm going back to the beginning of 1 Peter. I don't know if any of you remember, but a few months back I preached from 1 Peter. And Greg mentioned those scriptures this morning. So that was perfect that you did that, Greg. I'm, I'm so glad it led right into what I'm going to do today. I'm going back to the foundations of the gospel, that is, to being born again. So for those of you that this is so trite and so you're so hearing this over and over and over again, yeah, we know what it means to be born again. Remember that you're here on purpose, so I'm going to ask you not to nod off or blink out or check the scores of the football games, but listen and be reminded of what it means to be born again, and how being born again is what gives us hope in Christ. John Calvin said it well when he proclaimed that the main object of this epistle from Peter is to raise us above the world in order that we may be prepared and encouraged to sustain the spiritual contests of our warfare. That is to say, this epistle gives us hope in our battle against sin and against the evil one in this world. We're going to talk about the difference between the old kind of hope, as I'm calling it today, that we had before we were in Christ, and I'm calling it the new and living hope. Peter calls it living hope that the scriptures promised once we've been born again. So we started the season with hope, and we're going to finish the Advent season with hope. I'd like to ask and answer four questions by the preaching of the word today. Number one, who wrote this text? Who wrote it and how did he write it? Technically, I guess that's two questions. Number two, what's happened here in the text? What's the heart of the text here today? Number three, why do we need this new hope, as I'm going to call it? That is, why do we have to be told or reminded that we have it? And number four, how do we access this new hope in time of need? Or how do we apply this teaching? Okay, so let's, let's dig right in here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the scripture text to you again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So let's break it down. So as a matter of making my first point, I don't want to skip this salutary greeting, this common greeting used by Peter and Paul in the epistles, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to answer our first question, that is, who wrote this and how did he write it? It was Peter. It was Peter. One of the most endeared apostles of Jesus. You may remember, or may not, that I called him a verbally bumbling apostle in the last sermon message in 1 Peter. He got himself in trouble pretty often by opening up his mouth and making a vow, promise, or just putting his foot in altogether and getting in trouble with the Lord. But Jesus loved him so much that he personally intervened between Peter and Satan when Satan promised to sift Peter out. That is, he promised to single him out. I'm going to get this guy. 
he's mine. But Jesus prayed that he would not be accosted by the devil, that he would not be destroyed. Peter even betrayed Jesus, as you would remember if you read the scriptures yourself. He betrayed him three times in one night. But Jesus loved him so much that he restored him to the faith. So how did Peter write this greeting, or this whole epistle for that matter? It was common growing up as a Jew, that's Old Testament era teaching, to say the words in Hebrew, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, that meant, blessed be the Lord. That's how they would say it. It's a common greeting in the temple of worship or even in the marketplace amongst Pharisees, Sadducees, keepers of the law. It was a learned greeting, and the Pharisees and all the teachers of the law would use it just to greet one another. Blessed be the Lord, and they see each other in passing. Here, however, in the New Testament, largely used by Peter and Paul, it was a worshipful introduction to their epistles. It would include the name of Jesus Christ that was not known in the Old Testament teachings and which would usually precede the reason for their worshipful greeting. Remember also that at the time of the New Testament writings that Peter and Paul at this point are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this greeting would come as a matter of faith. They were on fire. They had a fire in their bellies. They were imprisoned. We're not sure about Peter, but we know that Paul was imprisoned much of the time when he said, blessed be the Lord, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in prison, and he was praising God, writing us these letters, essentially, in 2018. Paul uses this greeting in the onset of the second letter of the Corinthian church and also at the beginning of his letter to the Ephesians church. The greeting was given as a matter of worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the greeting would be followed by their God-driven risen for their epistle or, their, or for their reason for saying it. We should receive the scriptures in this way. We should worship God by and through our reading of the scriptures. Like our life depends upon it. Because it does. Peter wrote the scriptures as an act of worship. Let me ask you some questions. Do you read the scriptures? Do you read the Bible? How do you read the scriptures? How do you read them? Do you read the scriptures worshipfully? Do you read the scriptures as a chore? One of those things that you can check off your box, what I did as a Christian today, or because your counselor said so. Pastor Eric, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Greg. Be sure and pray to our great God to ask him to inspire you to read his holy word. Be sure and pray to your great God to ask him to inspire you next time you read. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help in understanding the scriptures, not just so that you can apply it to your lives, but as an act of wanting to endear yourself to the holy God who made you and who made you, in these passages, born again with new life. Praise him as an act of reading the scriptures. 
get to the second question today, what's happened here? What's happened in our text? It's the heart of the text. What's happened here is what happens to all believers as they receive the gospel message from God's word. And when I say receive, I mean their hearts are opened up. I don't just mean that they had it read to them and they understood it, what it meant in English, but literally they received the Lord. This is what happens. Listen now as I read what comes after Peter's greeting. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, let's break it down. God, the God who created the universe, everything in it, sun, moon, and stars, and human life, caused us to be born again. So now this is the heart of the gospel here. In the book of John chapter 3, not just verse 16, read it all. Because John chapter 3 is pretty profound. Jesus explains that we needed or need to be born again. The word again in this context here, especially coupled together with born, means the obvious, a second time. But it also means, from the Greek, from above. That is, we need to be born from above. We need to be born of God. If we're to be saved from the wrath that God promised to pour out on all mankind back in Genesis for our sins and transgressions against him. We need to be born again of water and of the spirit, it says in John 3. Born of water, referring to your birth from your mom's tummy, kids born right out of your mother, and of the spirit that born again, that born from above, if we are to see the eternal kingdom of heaven. The second birth is necessary. I heard from the, my Bible teacher, Stephen Lawson, if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're born once, you die twice. And there's some pretty graphic illustrations of the second death in Holy Scripture. God loved the world that he created for his own glory so much that from the beginning of our sinfulness, from the very beginning of the fallen man, he promised a remedy for our sin. He promised an advocate to intervene for us. Though mankind did not know it at the time of God's first promise, that advocate would be his own son. Some of you know this story. Be patient, be reminded. That son would be sent on our behalf to receive God's just punishment for our sins. That punishment would be the sacrificing of God's own son who had become man, born of a woman through the workings of the Holy Spirit, just so that he could die torturous death of man. He took God's punishment for our sins, in our place. And God would go on to raise his son from the grave, physically raise him, not just in spirit the way some of the religions teach. Three days later, he would be raised. And it's a result of this being raised 
that we get our new hope or our living hope as Peter calls it today. So God causes us to be born again to this, I'm going to call it new, but this living hope. It says right here in the passages that we just read. Let me ask you this. This is going to sound trite to some of you. Have you been born again? Have you yourself been born again? You're not calling yourself a Christian because your family members all come here and you come with them or because it's tradition in your family. Have you had God create new life in you? You should recognize it. There should be a change. There should be a change in the way you think about things. You should recognize that before you were in the wrong. Have you had the gospel preached to you? Or have you read the gospel account from the Bible? To have been born again, that's what you need. According to Romans 10, culminating in verse 17. I did that one a few months after the first sermon. I talked about you having to receive the word and that the word is what God uses to open up the eyes of your faith. Some of you may have been fooled for years thinking you're born again. You may be deceived. This is supposed to be an encouraging message. I'm getting to that. Many of our great pioneers in the Protestant faith began their ministries as what we call unregenerate. There was no new life put into their hearts yet. They were not saved. George Whitfield, one of the greatest evangelists the church has ever known. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, and Charles Wesley, writer of great hymns of faith, all belonged to a Bible study at Oxford College in their day. It was called the Holy Club. It wasn't just the three of them, but, but these are great pioneers, the foundations of our faith. This group of men would study diligently, debate with one another even over who was more knowledgeable. Do the scriptures sound familiar, some of us? Each trying to use their own knowledge to achieve a successful ministry or a successful sensation of, I'm a Christian. John Wesley even graduated from Oxford, became a minister and a preacher. And each of these men later on admitted that none of them had been regenerate. Not for years. Not even as ministers. Each would become born again as they read different publications from pioneers of the faith. And those publications would expound the gospel. That's how they became born again. That's how they recognized they had new life created in them, as God does do. If you read Romans 10, you'll see that. Only God, through his Holy Spirit, can cause you to be born again. It's a supernatural thing. Let me ask you a question. Has God created new life in you yet? Here's one that'll hit home around here. You can agree with the five points, the doctrines of grace, and not be regenerate. 
you can understand what they mean. You have an understanding of the English language. You can use a dictionary. You can listen to great preachers and still not have new life created in you yet. God himself chooses the day and the time and the moment when the gospel opens up your heart to new life. I feel also that we shouldn't just brush over this passage. It mentions God himself caused us to be born again. This could get into a whole different sermon, so I've been cautioned about that, <laughs> to not distract from the fact that today's message is on hope. But God has complete influence over our will in the matter. God himself motions us to his son, Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit's power. I mentioned this in the, uh, the sermon on, uh, from Romans 2, 8 to 10 from a year ago. Or you can come up and ask questions about that if you want to do that. But Ephesians chapter 1 teaches God, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 teaches that God chose those he intended to save before the world was made. And he predestined us to be adopted as his own children. My own son stood me down on that one a few years ago. It opened up my eyes to hundreds of scriptures that I had read diligently as a younger man and memorized and never knew what they meant. John 6.44 to 6.65 teaches us that no one can come to Christ to be saved unless God the Father himself sends his Holy Spirit to direct them. In Romans 9, you can read that some were made for salvation, while others were made for destruction. Some of the weightiest words in all of Scripture. All of us who first heard this teaching, our, our guts would tighten up, and especially those of us that preach here at Veritas, we all freaked out. We all thought, oh, are we saved? Oh, no. And maybe some of us weren't, and maybe some of us were, but we had to redirect our hearts to how sovereign God really is, even over our will. I want to go into what Peter means now. What does Peter mean by a living hope? God caused us to be born again to a living hope. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, Beginning with verse 1, he explains that we were what God calls dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins is the exact text. Dead here means that we were dead spiritually. Just like a corpse can't respond to the living, our spirits cannot respond to a spiritual awareness. And when I say spiritual, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit of God only. Not all the mixed up spiritual te teachings of today. We don't even have the ability, the scripture says, in several places to choose Christ or to save ourselves from God's wrath due to our own sinfulness. We were spiritually unable to respond to spiritual things and spiritual truths. We couldn't save ourselves, not even with a simple prayer. 
We were followers of the devil. We did whatever sinful thing that pleased us all day long, and sin did please us according to these passages in Ephesians chapter 2. And there are multiple lists of what God thinks of man in the scriptures, Proverbs, Psalms, Hebrews. They list the sins that we're all guilty of. Even our good deeds, it says in scripture, were sin before we knew Christ. God would call them filthy rags because it did not proceed from faith. Ever since the day that Adam fell. That's how long we were sinful before God called us out of the grave to new life. And that's how dead we were. So God himself in his holy word had said we were dead spiritually, which means we had no life at all. But now, for those of you that are in Christ, we're born again. And so we have new life. So we have hope, living hope, the scripture says. I'm calling it new hope today as well. So this new hope is living. Again, a common scripture. We who believe are a new creation. New creation in Christ. That's what it means. Born again from above, new creation in Christ. We're not new and improved. We're not improved. We don't have a better life. I was so tempted to say we don't have a better life now. Oh, some of you know what I mean. Of course you do. We are now alive. We now have life. Because before, we were just walking around, and we were spiritual corpses. And that's not life to God Almighty. That's death. We're alive in Christ, the scriptures say. And we have hope, and I'm calling it new hope. So if I'm calling it new hope, what was our old hope? Again, I have some questions for you. What is it you hope in? And what is it you hope for? Do you have hope in or for a new job? A raise at your current job? A new wife or husband, perhaps? God forbid. That's a whole different sin we're talking about there. A different teacher for your classes, kids? A new car? I heard some groans there. Home ownership? More money? More food? I'm laughing because that would be me. More? That's our old hope. Which brings me to question three today. Why do we need this new living hope? Well, why do you hope for the old things? They'll get you nothing, not an eternity. You are probably going to be someone who dies to this physical body if you're not one of the, the generations who are awake when Christ comes again. You are probably going to die. And your eternity is going to seem like forever, because it is, compared to the short life you hear on earth. If we're lucky or fortunate enough to live a hundred years or more, it's like a drop in the bucket to the holy God of heaven and earth. After you pass from this earth, 
Life will seem like it's been nothing. It will seem like it's been nothing time-wise. It will seem like it's been nothing pain and sorrow-wise. And it'll seem like it's been nothing joy and jubilance-wise compared to eternity. Everyone's eternity in here is going to be infinitely more beautiful, joyful, and wonderful if you're in Christ, and infinitely more painful, gloomy, sorrowful, and even horrifying if you don't know the Christ, if you don't have that born-again life when you die. Did you know that if you're born again, the Bible says that you have hope in Christ. This isn't hope for Christ. This isn't hope that you'll be saved. I heard a Michael McDonald song. I'm a music freak, and I was listening. He was playing a really cool R&B song on the radio for Christmas this year. Uh, radio. There's no radio anymore. Digital, whatever it was. But he was singing a really romantic ballad about the Christmas time, but it included the words, God, I hope you hear my prayer. Wow. That's good, but even better would be, God, I know you hear my prayer. God, I have hope in you. I'm not hoping you hear me. I have hope because you hear me. That's your living hope, hope in Christ. Being alive in and having hope in Christ is not hoping for, but already having hope in Christ. It's having hope in eternal life in which you'll walk with and be near the living God of heaven and earth and be closer in love with him than you ever have been with anybody or anything in your entire existence here on earth. Imagine that. I'm thinking of my grandson. Got a new grandson. Just, man, he's just, he comes over and I just melt. I want to be careful to guard my heart against that. I want to melt, but I, I want to melt more for the living God. And I can't make myself do that. God has to do that in me, and God has to do it in you. So imagine a life where you're walking with God, and it's physical, and it's spiritual. You'll have a new body, glorified. We can't imagine what that's like. We're thinking, can I poke myself? Will my finger go through? I don't know what that's about, but, uh, but it's beautiful. God says, no man has imagined what he has in store for you. And that goes the other way. No man has imagined what he has in store for you if you go to your death without the new life. It's a two-edged sword. It's having hope in a life that has no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no hunger, that God will have to quench with anything but himself, whom you already love if you're in Christ, if you're born again, if you have hope in Christ. It has no sin and therefore no struggle 
with sinful behavior. I cannot wait for that one. It's the new and living hope. Let me ask you this. What do you hope in or hope for? Is it something that will let you look beyond your pain, your earthly, what you dub to be poverty, your struggle with sin, your physically crippling disability? How about your mentally crippling disability? We're getting older. Sometimes I'm driving across town and I go, where was I going? And I've seen the future of that in my own mother, my dear mother-in-law, who passed away with dementia. Do you have hope that will take you beyond that? I remember when Betty was really crippled with what they call Lewy body dementia. It's so crippling of the mind and body. And the very last thing you do is you forget to breathe. And we could call her out of her deepest, darkest, demented cloud. And we would say, but mom, do you still love Jesus? Do you remember Jesus? And she would suddenly become completely relevant to what was going on and look you right in the eye and go, oh, yes, I love my Jesus. And then she would go right back into that demented cloud. That's living. Does what you hope for or hope in let you look beyond your abusive or unbelieving husband or wife or the emotional pain of having unbelieving family members who you just long for them to be in the kingdom like you're going to be? But no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to win them over to the Lord. If you're an unbeliever here today, my prayer for you is that you have hope for Christ, or hope for hope in Christ. If you've not been made to be born again by receiving these words of the gospel today or from some other past Sunday or from some commentator or from a friend, keep coming back again and again. God may cause you to be born again yet. Why stop now? Why give up? In conclusion, I have one more question for you. How do we access this new and living hope? Or I should ask, now we're talking about believers when we say this. How do we access this? Or I should say, how should I be reminded of this hope or assure myself that I have this hope? Well, those of you who are believers, you just needed to be reminded, even here today, that you already have hope in Christ. To access that hope, you simply need to read and meditate on God's holy word. It's a daily thing. How can you say or know or be assured that you're in Christ if you do not read the scriptures? What does that even mean to meditate on the scriptures? I was telling my son a couple weeks ago that I think it means that you silently, that is without words, are praying to your God the scriptures. You're reading the scriptures. They're his words. They're the only things that are infallible in your life. So pray them back to him, worshipfully. 
to get to know and love him more. Not just to check your box. Oh, I read the scriptures today. Pastor Jeff said, so good, I can go and go to work now. We're good at that. You need to read about how the saints of old were imprisoned, sickened, persecuted, starved, and even killed for the sake of Christ. But even in all of that, they rejoiced in Christ because they had hope in Christ and knew that no downfall on this earth could compare with the glorious fate that awaited them in the heavens, where they would soon walk personally with their God with no tears, no sorrow, no pain, and they would lovingly be bowed down at his feet in comparison to this life where we have struggles every day. If you've not had struggles as a born-again believer yet, they are coming, and many of them, I believe all of them, are from the hand of God. I chastise every son whom I receive. That's scripture. I discipline every son and daughter whom I love. That's from scripture. That's God talking to you. He's going to give you trials. Even when Satan attacks, remember he's a dog on a leash. We all know that if you've been attending here. Even Job was not being chastised, just disciplined. He was the most righteous man on earth, the scriptures say. And God allowed Satan to take Job to the hilt. In closing, again, I'd like to read one final passage of scripture from this book of 1 Peter. So if you'll take a look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and turn to verses 20 and 21, I'll give you a minute to get there. Because I really believe that this helps to tie my whole message together today. So here it is, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He, Jesus here, but was made manifest in the last times. That is, he was made known to us. He was presented to us physically. He was presented to us spiritually. He walked amongst us. He was made manifest in the last times, that's now, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, get this, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you. We thank you for the message and the delivery of the gospel. Let he who has ears, let him hear. Let he who knows and hears be exhorted. Let all who come here today, may they receive Christ this year and be saved. Let all who know Christ be exhorted. In the name of Christ, I do pray. Amen. Every week we celebrate the hope of Jesus Christ by coming to the table for this special meal that we call communion. Most of you know what that is. So we would ask that if you are a member of a local church or of this church, you can be a visitor here today, but be a member of a local church and you're a baptized believer, that you can come and share with us in this special meal today. 
You'll be coming down the center aisle. If you'll empty in the center aisle, we'll have leaders up here in just a couple of minutes. And we will serve you the emblems. And then if you'll empty out onto the sides and wait, and we'll take these together. 